What is up? We are back. Tony in the field. Tony in the field. Oh my God. I love those guys. So excited to be on Tony in the field. Love the show. Oh man. I can't wait. I'm fired up. Preston, what's on the menu, brother? The gloves are coming off. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History part of Tie game with five seconds remaining. Swoops. Dancing for the win! Texas is back, folks! Indiana's going at a kill. Oh! Hey, what is up, everybody? This is Tony in the field coming to you on Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. I'm the field, a.k.a. Preston Highfield. No Tony today. Uh, he is abroad in Italy slash London slash Europe doing his thing with his folks out there and just enjoying some much-deserved time off. But that vacation does coincide with football season. And you know me, the college football wheels in my brain never stop, so I need to get a pot off, give you guys my thoughts from week two in college football. Colorado over Nebraska, Prime, the media's obsession with Prime, Texas over Bama, Oregon surviving in Lubbock, Miami A&M briefly, and a quick note on Justin Herbert, the Chargers, and the National Football League, and the quarterback picture in the NFL, which I find pretty fascinating these days and where Herbert fits into it. Okay, let's start in college football. Let's start at the start of the day in Boulder, Big noon in the house for the second weekend in a row. The second time in a row that they'll be at a Colorado game. They'll have be three times in a row next week when they're in Boulder again for the Colorado State game. Uh, I will talk about the media's obsession with Prime and vice versa uh, in just a little bit. Let's get to the game first. Colorado-Nebraska rivalry game, cheapest ticket, rumored somewhere in the 400s. I was looking on SeatGeek. I saw high 300s, low 400s. Obviously, awesome environment. I, I haven't seen Folsom Field like that in my entire life. I'm 30 years old. Been watching college football for 20, 25 years. Haven't seen Folsom look like that ever. Uh, that was amazing. Shout out to the Colorado program. Obviously, Prime, Shadur, Travis Hunter, and the rest of the, the gang for really hyping up uh, a game like that. And I know it's a rivalry game, and, and I know it's an early season game, and Nebraska fans travel well, and they definitely travel well. That was really impressive, but... Um, just the, the general vibes and the nature of the setting, flawless day out there in, in Boulder, it looked awesome. Nebraska is terrible. They are terrible. Jeff Sims, their quarterback, I was trying to rack my brain. That is the worst D1 quarterbacking I've seen in a long time. Just one interception on the stat sheet, 9 of 15, 106 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. That is insanely misleading. He was... So bad. He kept fumbling at op- inopportune times. There were multiple plays where he directed a tight end to come across the line of scrimmage in motion and then hiked the ball and it hit the tight end in the hip and it caused a fumble. He obviously just fumbled away a couple drives himself. Uh, it was really bad. And what's too bad for Nebraska is their defense is actually pretty good. It was really solid. It just caved in the second half when they knew they had no chance. But they held they held Colorado to 13 first-half points and only one touchdown late in the second. And it was 13-0 at halftime. They are just so soiled on offense at quarterback. And if you're a Nebraska booster, you have to be, like, livid with Matt Rule. That's one of those things where you go in there at the next booster meeting and say, hey, um... How in the world did you not bench Jeff Sims at halftime? I mean, 
it, it it's like an appalling coaching decision. Now, Sims did roll his ankle later in the game. By the way, ironically, Savelle Smalls, former UW five-star linebacker out of the state of Washington, ended up committing to UW over Oregon back in the day. I uh, couldn't stay on the field at UW. He's now at Colorado. Ends up crunching Sims on on a play. Sims has to go out because his ankles hurt. And they bring in two different guys. Heinrich Harburg, your boy out of Nebraska, six foot five pro style passer. Honestly, vibe check for a Nebraska quarterback. He he checks all the boxes. Homegrown, corn fed, pro style, six five, slinging the rock. Like he's meant to be in a pro style Big Ten offense where you need to just throw rockets across the field for slant routes for a first down on third and seven. Like he he is the typical Nebraska looking quarterback. The other guy who came in, actually Brock Purdy's younger brother, Chuba Purdy, if you believe it or not, one-time Florida State player, was in the game for a snap. It was really bizarre once Sims got hurt. Rule was just kind of rotating in those other two quarterbacks, and then Sims eventually came back in. I just feel for Nebraska's D because they were really stout against the run, and the dam just broke in the second half when it became obvious that they weren't going to score on on offense. But on the field, if you're Matt Rule and you're Nebraska, like seriously, you need to evaluate. If you're going to keep Jeff Sims at your quarterback spot, he, he obviously transferred him from Georgia Tech, ran the triple option there. If you're going to keep Jeff Sims, you need to just start running the triple option. He cannot pass. It is official. It's 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 not an argument. We saw it against Minnesota. We saw it against Colorado. He can't operate a pro-style offense. You need to either run the triple option with him or run the wildcat with him. He is not a quarterback. Period. End of story. It's on tape. It's not my opinion. Watch the games. It's on tape. I would personally just bench him or move him to receiver and and start that Harburg guy. 6'5", pro-style passer, big dude, big arm. Just give him a chance because Sims is not the answer. There is no way. He should have been benched when he was healthy during that game. Um, it's it's remarkable that it took an injury for, for him to get, quote-unquote, benched. If you're Matt Rule, you absolutely need to make that switch. You, you He threw away the game against Minnesota, three picks. You lost that game 13-10. to 10. Uh, And then you put up 14 points against Colorado. The Buffs, 36-14. By the way, I, I have no idea how the spread was just three and a half. I think that was meant to throw people off. If Vegas was actually trying to get that spread right, uh, it should have been more like 17. I think that would have freaked people out enough to not bet. But three and a half, Vegas took an absolute bath in that game uh people were all over colorado by the way 800 media members credentialed for for that game which is hilarious because that's a small media booth and a small stadium in general um looked pretty interesting shadur sanders still a legit heisman candidate 31 of 42 393 yards two passing touchdowns and a rushing td later on in the game um he is as advertised i think he's a tremendous player 40 touchdowns, six picks a year ago at Jackson State. We all knew he was very good at Jackson State, but it's one thing to do it in the SWAC. It's another to do it uh, against higher-level D1 teams, and they certainly still have a lot to prove. They'll wipe away Colorado State this week. Colorado State got 50 hung on them at home in Week 1 by Washington State, who looks like a pretty good team. Colorado State will be no competition this weekend. We'll really find out who they are at Autzen in two weeks. But Shadour looks really legit. Uh, He's the biggest surprise out of all of this for me. Um, I, I did watch Jackson State a couple times. They were on TV a couple times last year. I knew that this was his game as a pro-style guy. I know he's been texting with Tom Brady. He mentioned that in his post-game. TB12 texts him. 
He kind of works with Tom Brady on like the cerebral part of playing quarterback. That's really cool. He is amazing. I, I knew Travis Hunter would be amazing. I think I said that in other podcasts, was telling people that. Like, dude, this guy's a two-way player. He's going to be insane. Did not know that Shadur would be this insane. Shadur is so good. And he's going to be a first-round pick. Mel Kuyper has him up in the first round now. Moved him up to a projected first-round pick. He's obviously shocked everyone, and he is really, really good. Um, the rest of Colorado, Xavier Weaver, South Florida transfer, one of two, along with Jimmy Horn at the receiver spot. Ten grabs, 170 yards, and a touchdown. He's the guy with the long dreads. Really good player. Travis Hunter, three grabs, 73 yards. The uh, the Heisman hype has cooled off a little bit after week one. Still have a future on that. Shout out to my brother Joe for placing that for me. Um, 20 bucks on on Travis Hunter to win the Heisman at like plus 9,000 odds, something like that. I, I think there's a small chance that ticket could cash. I really think that, that if Colorado ends up going on a nice run here, that, that Shadur and Travis Hunter both deserve invitations to New York City. Um, there are two other angles with this Colorado story that I want to hit on. The first, well, let's see, which one do I want to do first? Basically, the two other angles I want to hit on are the prime, it's personal stuff, and the media's obsession with prime. Okay, you guys probably saw the, the it's personal stuff um, going on with prime and that was his big kind of rallying cry to his team there's a lot of there's a million cameras on him at at one time uh it's not an accident he's certainly doing that on purpose in his in his pregame speeches etc and i'm gonna pull up the audio of shadur sanders after the game because he was you know the, the whole message that week was it's personal that was prime's message to the team right um this is insanely manufactured hate from prime and very fake i was scraping the internet google blogs twitter to find out what prime was so mad about the only thing i could find was that he said when asked that matt rule said when asked about prime he had said that he's doing a good job but he wouldn't be doing it his way he wouldn't have 14 cameras around him at all times something to that effect i don't even know if he said 14 some i wouldn't have cameras around me at all times which by the way is a is a uh, very normal statement to make prime said that he was disrespecting him and the entire team obviously to motivate his team and it's a total sales pitch and a wildly inaccurate one at that but the team bought it and here's shadur in post game it's extremely personal. We go out there, warm up. You got the head coach for the other team trying to stand in the middle of the buff. Like, it's okay if, if like, a couple players do it. It's fine, you know. Like, to just enjoy the scenery. But when you got the whole team trying to disrespect it, then I'm not, you know, I'm not going for that at all. So I went in there and disrupted it. So they knew off rip. Like, nah, this, the Buffaloes mean, mean a lot to me. And personally, that's what I say in pregame. And that's when I knew it was just extreme disrespect. And that's why it was the coach. The coach said a lot of things about my pops, about the program. But now that he want to act nice, I don't. Res I don't. I don't respect that because you hating on another man. You shouldn't do that. So it was just all respect was gone for them in their program. Now I like playing against their DC. I like playing against them, but the respect level it ain't it ain't there because you disrespected us first. Okay, so uh, quick, quick. Quick news flash here. You are allowed to stand at the opponent's 50-yard line, especially before the game. That's what they were doing. Everyone was in street clothes. Nebraska was walking around in their sweats, their jumpsuits, 
looking at the stadium and the coach was looking around the 50 yard line. Um, you probably saw that viral video of Shadur flipping off his rolly, not, not flipping off with the middle finger, but flipping his rolly, turned his wrist around, showed the, showed the Rolex that he had on. By the way, I saw something else on social media that he's, getting over $4 million in NIL this money. Uh, number one, good for him. He deserves it. He's freaking great. Number two, that is just hilarious that he's flexing the Rolex. And then he, so he's flexing it and staring down uh, a random Nebraska player like eight feet away. And a Nebraska coach comes in and like taps him on the shoulder. And then they dap up. So they clearly had some kind of pre-existing relationship. It was like a Nebraska assistant daps him up, and daps up Shadur. And then that moment of awkwardness and intensity, I guess, uh, was was broken up. The whole prime. Listen, I I understand he's a salesman. I understand that that's what being a college football coach is to a degree. Uh, we know that Sean Lewis, the OC at Colorado, is the man calling the plays and doing the coaching on offense. Um, certainly, imagine Prime has a a hand in the defense and the X's and O's. Not really sure how much of the X's and O's he has a hand in defensively. It doesn't seem like he has really any hand in anything offensively. As Sean Lewis is getting pretty much all the praise nationally and locally. Um, from from the media, but I would say I want to be super clear. Like I really, really, really respect uh, Shadur and really, really respect Coach Prime. Colorado is awesome for college football. I am rooting for them. I am rooting so hard for Colorado. I am on that bandwagon, no doubt. I'm, I was one of the first people to beat that drum, and I'm going to keep beating that drum. It's just funny that some of this stuff gets manufactured, like Matt Rule saying, I mean, no one, like I, I've looked up articles, the New York Post has written about it, the the New York Times has written about it, um, ESPN has written about it. People are like digging for the, the quote where Matt Rule got disrespected, or Matt Rule disrespected Dion. Matt Rule's had a press conference since then. He got asked about it three times. He's like, I, I have no idea. Uh, we shook hands before and after the game. Like no one can find any level of disrespect from Matt Rule which is why we know it's completely manufactured hate from Coach Prime. And um, I, I personally don't approve of that. I don't like it. I don't like fake energy. But if that's what it takes to pump your team up, then then that's what it takes. And um, who, who am I to tell him to do something the other way? He certainly is doing a great job so far. I just don't really love fake energy like that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, it's going to be really funny when Shadur Sanders is walking around the 50-yard line in a road game, say at Austin, in two weeks. And by the way, Prime is going to go nuts with that Dan Lanning quote. You guys remember that Dan Lanning quote from the offseason when it was when it was determined that Colorado was going to go to the Big 12? And he said, I, I don't recall them winning anything. Prime has three interns on that right now making some kind of remix highlight tape using that Dan Lanning quote and that audio bite and that video where he says, I don't remember them winning anything. They are going to go nuts next week with that quote. Uh, Colorado at Autzen in two weeks. Count me the heck in. That is going to be an electric game. The other thing I wanted to point out on the prime stuff before I move on to Texas Bama and Oregon Texas Tech is the media's obsession with prime. So for the third week in a row this weekend, Big Noon kickoff is going to be at a Colorado game. They were at TCU in the opener home against Nebraska last week, and then they'll be home against Colorado State, so in Boulder again. Fox is downright obsessed with Coach Prime and Colorado. I mean, they could end up being good. They're obviously ranked right now. They could end up being a six-win team. We, we don't know yet. They haven't played anyone good uh, to, to our to our knowledge. I, to me, I, I am shy. Their over-under was like three and a half or something, three. I, I think they're great uh, compared to what their expectations were. 
I am insanely impressed with Colorado. They are the story of college football for me, along with Texas and Florida State right now. It's just funny how obsessed the media is with him. Fox, for the third week in a row, is taking the big noon kickoff to, to a Colorado game. Also, I don't know if this has ever happened before, College Game Day is going to travel to Boulder this week to air their show. So College Game Day and Big Noon will be in Boulder. I looked it up. This is why it's a double this doesn't make sense. Number one, there's a lot of reasons this doesn't make any sense. Colorado versus Colorado State is a 7 p.m. ESPN game. So Fox isn't broadcasting it and and, and Herb Street or anyone on that set on that college game day set, also won't be broadcasting. Herb Street, by the way, is going to go to Tennessee, Florida in in Gainesville uh, to call a 4 o'clock game on ESPN. He's going to get on a private flight right after game day from Boulder to Gainesville, okay, for a 4 o'clock game. And the big noon's not calling the game either. Like, it was one thing because the last two weeks, Clatt and uh, and Gus Johnson were on the call for the TCU game and the Nebraska game. So that that makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of grease, but it, it makes sense that, all right, big noon kickoff's there. And I know those guys aren't part of the big new kickoff show, but at least Fox is there. The whole you know broadcast production, they're they're pumping up the game that they're about to call. Literally minutes later, after after the nine a.m. show, then the show ends at nine a.m. They call the kickoff a minute later. Um, it's just it's it's crazy how obsessed the media is with Prime, and they know they know that that he brings the ratings. the um, The highest rated game last week was Texas-Bama, 8.76 million average viewers. And guess what was right behind it? Colorado versus lifeless, hopeless Nebraska, 8.73 million average viewers at 9 a.m. for a Colorado-Nebraska game. That is the prime effect. He deserves the attention. And it is amazing how media companies are obsessed with him because they know he is a ratings pull. By the way, Colorado State lost home to Washington State week one, 50-24. They scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. I was reading a little Colorado State info because your boy here is is that locked in. And you know I love the Mountain West. They benched Clay Millen. Shout out Snoqualmie, Washington. I called one of his games in Vancouver once upon a time. For Braden Fowler-Nicolosi, who will get the start against Colorado this weekend. Um... It's just crazy. Colorado State's a bad team. They're 0-1. They're not good in the Mountain West, and game day is still traveling to this game because everyone wants a piece of prime, and I don't even blame them. Uh, I would have, if I was game day, I would have waited one week later to to go to Autzen for a Colorado game. Um, Colorado at Oregon in two weeks, 12.30 on ABC, going to be freaking electric. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be electric. Both those teams will be undefeated. Oregon has Hawaii this weekend. Colorado has... Colorado State, shout out to the Mountain West, um, but two three no teams at Autzen uh, in two weeks. Other game day options this week would have been UW at Michigan State, Tennessee at Florida, and Northwestern at Duke. It is a really, really, really weak slate before next week's completely electric slate. So I get it. Everyone wants a piece of prime, and it'll be fun to see that crazy Colorado crowd in the background. They stormed the field last week. They were they were incredible, man. They were absolutely incredible. Okay. Never thought that I would talk by myself about Colorado football for 20 minutes, but that is prime. Here we go. Texas and Bama. Incredible. Texas 34, Bama 24. Uh, Very, very even game 
13-6 at halftime. Texas exploded for 21 points in the fourth quarter. They win 34-24. Uh, I thought for a little while when it was 16-13 going into the fourth, it felt a lot like the, I wrote this in my newsletter, it felt a lot like the Georgia-Bama natty from two years ago. Not not last year, obviously, but the Georgia-Bama natty from two years ago where it was 16-13, I think at one point. Like, like Georgia had done nothing on offense for the first three quarters of the game, and it was like, all right, dude, I don't think Stetson's going to get them over this hump. and And he did. And you have to give him credit in that game. And just like you have to give Quinn Ewers credit in this game against Bama. If you beat Bama, it changes your life sometimes if you're the quarterback. All right. Joe Burrow beat Bama, won the Heisman, won the Natty. Johnny Manziel beat Bama, won the Heisman. By the way, could have won the Natty. His defense was terrible. Cam Newton beat Bama, won the Heisman, won the Natty. If you're a quarterback of a good team or a really good team and you beat Bama, by the way, all three of those road games, which is insane, Manziel on the road, Cam Newton on the road, and Brian Denny and uh, Burrow on the road, and now Texas on the road. If you go into Bama and essentially pull the sword from the stone, which is beating the unquestioned GOAT, Nick Saban, and his building, it changes your life. Quinn Ewers, 24-38, 349 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks, some epic moon ball touchdowns to Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, the Georgia transfer who apparently transferred to Texas because uh, he played a lot on that Georgia title team last year. Transferred to Texas to be closer to his daughter is what I read. Um, it's incredible. Mitchell had three grabs, 78 yards, two touchdowns. And Sark is an offensive genius, man. I, I, I know that, you know, seven, seven wins Sark, baby. Seven wins Sark. That was the... Uh, that was the the thought on Sargas. Hey, man, he's going to coach offense well. He's going to win seven games, and we're all going to laugh because he's not going to win anything of importance. And you got to give it to Sark, man. He went into Tuscaloosa with a perfect game plan, and they got the win. I will say, this Bama team, especially at QB, Jalen Milrow, um, you know, by the way, uh, Dan, what's his name? What's the ESPN NFL countdown guy's name? Dan Orlovsky. Guy who ran out of the back of the end zone. Does a really good job on TV. He was on McAfee's show, which was live from, from Tuscaloosa on Friday, the Friday before the game. And he he, he said, and, and wasn't hot taking at all. He stated facts, and, and they proved to be true, that Texas would win the game, uh, partially because they're massive advantage at quarterback. It, it's really true. Like Jalen Milrow right now, the Bama kid, he's just an athlete out there. And he's a spectacular athlete. He's one of the fastest players on the field at all times. If you guys remember the Arkansas game last year, he – he had like a couple different 70-yard touchdown runs it felt like in that game. But he is not a pro-style QB. I mean, there was, you know, there were the memes going around with Tommy Rees up there in the booth holding onto the phone and, you know, what it's like to explain your mom how to work the Roku controller kind of thing. Those memes were going around. They were pretty funny. Um, he missed a wheel route for a wide open touchdown at one point in that game. I had the dual screen going with this game and, and Oregon Texas Tech. He missed a couple of really easy throws. He did hit one really nice downfield pass. He has pretty good touch on his long ball, but his short to intermediate throws need a lot of work, and and he is just not going to be not going to be a quarterback who's going to lead this team to a title unless their defense is insanely elite. And their defense was really good for a lot of the game, but it wasn't quite good enough uh, in the fourth quarter. They were just worn down and. To make this more about Texas, I mean, Quinn Ewers is so legit. 
You obviously wonder what if if he hadn't gotten crunched by Dallas Turner last year. So good to see him stay healthy. Texas's line play on both sides is nasty. Um, saw a, a, a take on Twitter, and I, I do kind of agree with it. Texas A&M has poached the elite defensive lineman, and that's why Bama doesn't look as elite on the D-line anymore, and it's true. By the way, if you look at Texas A&M's D-line, and it didn't really matter because Miami threw all over them, but Texas A&M's D-line right now is crazy. There's going to be a couple first-round picks from that team, which is nuts because they gave up 48 points against Miami, more on that game in a second. Um, but anyways, just wild to, wild to see. Um, you know, I, I think Saban, Saban did not look like he was panicked or mad at all. He, you know, he probably heard the quote, this is more of a midterm than a final for us, but we didn't do well enough on this test. So we need to get better moving forward. And he's, he's well aware of his deficiencies at quarterback. And now it's up to him and the offensive staff, Tommy Rees and the rest of the team to just kind of make up for that and figure out how they can win with, without elite quarterback play. Um, and I'm certainly interested to see how they plan on doing that. But this story is about Texas, man. They went into Bama and pulled the sword from the stone. The energy was insane in this game. College game day was on hand. Um, you know, it's just that. <coughs> excuse me. It's just that uh, Texas was that good. They're physical. They got three really good receivers. Their head coach is a quarterback whisperer, and Quinn is going to be a first rounder someday. I mean, for the moment, Texas is back. And you got to give them and Sark a ton of credit. In my personal rankings right now, I would go Georgia 1, Texas 2, and then some combination of USC, Oregon, and UW 3, 4, 5. Uh, obviously, Florida State in there as well. The, the Pac-12 is so good this year, man. It is so good. And uh, and that's fun to see. So that was Texas-Bama. Um, basically, tex- Texas didn't get lucky. Texas did not get lucky. It was all all skill and very well-deserved. They were better at the skill spots, much better at quarterback, and just as good, if not better, at the line. And they were able to kind of cool, calm, and collect it and, and win that game, 34-24 the final. Okay. Oregon over Texas Tech. Oregon gets the win 38-30, an all-time backdoor cover. I mean, just an all-time backdoor cover. Felt exactly like the Washington State game. I said that in the second quarter of this game when I was watching it with my dad. I was like, this feels like the Washington State game where Oregon's definitely better than this team. I don't think they're going to win, or if they do, they're going to need a couple late scores, and it's going to get kind of dicey. But the Ducks do end up winning. They pull away with a Jeff Boss, a late pick six. Brandon Dorless in the backfield, putting pressure on Shuck again. Uh, and, and it's an all-time six-and-a-half-point spread, all-time backdoor cover game to win 38-30. They took a, a lead on a late Camden Lewis field goal. By the way, a clutch Camden Lewis field goal that came after a delay of game. Um, there were a lot of things that Dan Lanning and the secondary messed up in this game. 14 total penalties. Tysheem Johnson and Kyrie Jackson, those are Ole Miss and Bama transfers. Um, they got absolutely cooked. Now, I will say, Texas Tech is a pretty good offense. I I, I think Texas Tech is going to give a lot of people trouble this year. Tyler Shuck had a really good game for the most part. Um, Obviously, he he fumbled and then threw. He ended up throwing three picks. Two of those were like in the last 30 seconds of the game. So I, I honestly thought he had a pretty dang good game. But I will say, 
Oregon's got so much to clean up in that secondary. Like, if they look like that against USC or UW, they are going to get toasted. The the passing attacks for Utah and Oregon State are not very good, so their their secondary won't be put to the test against that. I actually think Oregon matches up really well with Utah and Oregon State. But against UW and USC, boy, Oregon needs to get way better on defense. Otherwise, they're going to be giving up 40-something to each of those teams. Um as they did to UW last year, give up close to 40, I believe, uh, in that game a year ago. So, you know, it's an early season game. It's a really early season game. Um, you do give Oregon credit for going on the road in a, in a hostile environment. They're throwing tortillas on the field. I guess that's a tradition. Um, Bo Nick said he got a bunch of soda thrown all over him. The good part is if you're Oregon – you win the game. You have a lot to get better at. I watched the full Dan Landing presser afterwards, and he was basically like, all week, all we told our guys to do, our, all we instructed our DBs to do during practice was to practice against jump balls. Like, apparently, like, all they did all week was jump ball drills. Like, hey, Texas Tech's going to throw the ball up in the air a ton. We're going to do a bunch of jump ball drills. Uh, that didn't really work, but you admire the effort on, on the coaching there because that is essentially what Oregon needs to get better at. There was one play. I can't remember if it was Johnson or Jackson, whoever number zero is. He, he just ran and threw himself into the receiver, which by the way, in college football, isn't the worst thing ever because it's not a spot foul. unlike the NFL. I wish the NFL would change that. We've seen Tom Brady and other quarterbacks get so many free touchdowns for receivers, essentially, beating someone barely and then flopping in the end zone or close to it and getting the ball at the two from 40 yards away. It's, it, it's a really bad rule in the NFL. I, it's kind of unbelievable. They haven't changed it. Um, but college football, you can practically take someone's head off. And if you don't get a targeting call, it's only going to be 10 or 15 yards on a first down. So it's not the worst thing to do if you're a DB, but boy, those, those, those new DBs. And by the way, Oregon's entire secondary is pretty new. Now they still have Steve Stevens and, Brian Addison and Dante Manning on the roster, but Jackson and Johnson, Nico Reed, all those guys, those guys are, are really new to the team. Jaleel Florence still there. Troy, Troy Bridges still there. Um, but you had other guys who were just getting absolutely toasted like Jackson and Johnson. Evan Williams, I thought was okay. Pretty good tackler. Um, he's the transfer from Fresno state. Uh, I believe he's related to Bennett Williams, but Geez, the secondary needs to get way better. Mateo, you almost had a sack, came in a little too hot, and missed Shuck. Um, the offense didn't run the ball very well. 31 carries, 113 yards. That's only three yards a carry. Texas Tech averaged 5.4 yards a carry. Bucky Irving is, in my opinion, the best running back in the Pac-12. He only had 11 carries for 38 yards. All right, now it's it's a new offensive line for Oregon which is really important to point out. Let me pull up the Oregon football depth chart here from 2023 and compare it to 2022. So if you have, if you look at the O-line from left to right, Josh Connerly, who had like three or four false start penalties, um, Josh Connerly, Marcus Harper, Jackson Powers Johnson, Stephen Jones, and Ajani Cornelius, the Rhode Island transfer. That's your, that's your starting O-line this year. If you look last year, 2022 Oregon football depth chart going on to our lads here. Let's see. Do they have it? Can you get me back a year? Oh, they just delete their 2022 one? All right. Well, I'm going to go to this projected depth chart for the 2022 season opener. Let's see if good old James Krapia threw this down. Okay. 
from left to right, you have Stephen Jones or TJ Bass, then TJ Bass or Marcus Harper, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, who was a sixth-year senior, pretty good. Shout out Sheldon High School, and then right tackle Big uh, Big Sala, sixth-year senior as well. Jo- Dawson Jaramillo backing him up. I think he saw Dawson Jaramillo's on NC State now, if I'm not mistaken. So, anyways, the point is. They lost like eight O-linemen from last year's team. So it's a brand new O-line. They got to be thinking they're lucky stars. They didn't open with Georgia again because Georgia would have blown this O-line backwards. Ducks again only rushed for 113 yards. By the way, 46 of those were scrambles from, from Bo Nick. So just some quick math, like a little under 60 yards, a little under 70 yards for the running backs in this game. That's something that's going to need to change quite a bit. Troy Franklin looked amazing. Six grabs, 103 yards, and a touchdown. Um but if you're Oregon man, you got, you got to get a lot better from this. But you're just happy that you escaped with the win, and sometimes that's all it takes, man. You just you got to es- escape with the win and realize that you got to get better. That's probably like the best kind of win is that you get humbled, but you still win. And again, I know Texas Tech's zero and two, and they dropped the opener over Wyoming. I still think this is a pretty good Texas Tech team, uh, especially on offense. So. You know, does Oregon look like a college football playoff team after that game? No, they look more like a Holiday Bowl team. I I would say they look more like a Holiday Bowl team. But offensively, I still think they can be really good, and they know they have a lot to clean up on. Dan Lanning in the postgame was like, hey, we're going to tell our O-linemen, work on this, Work on." I think he called it the stem, where where Texas Tech's D-line would shift, and then Oregon flinched. Their their O-line had a a rough game in the penalty department, and and then the secondary just has to stop committing those penalties, and they have to get a lot, a lot better. Um, they'll get some practice against Hawaii this week, uh, kind of an air raid team that doesn't have, obviously, the the high-level talent that a Big 12 team like Texas Tech does. And that'll be that'll be a good practice, and then we'll see what Oregon's really made of against Shadur Sanders and Xavier Weaver and Edwards and Hunter against Colorado in two weeks. Um, so the Ducks pass the test, and that's all you got to do sometimes. You got to get a lot better. You got to get a lot better. But you pass the test and you win 38-30 on the road. I thought Oregon's defense got cooked. Their offense looked okay. Uh, Camden Lewis, stud. Used to be sketchy. Now he's a stud. Um, It's funny. If Oregon lost, all of a sudden, like, the difference between Oregon winning and losing was like a coin flip, basically. And if Oregon had lost, we would be like, right now, we'd be like, all right, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Lanning's the man. I mean, we wouldn't be overreacting that hard, but we'd be pretty much saying like, "Hey, Lanning, kind of like Brandon Say with the Chargers, you're the head coach and you're known for your defense. Like, where is the Kirby Smart protege in you? Like, Oregon brought you here. Like, that's the thing. There's kind of a blame game going on right now about Oregon's defense. Like, who do you blame, Lanning or Tosh Lupoi or just everything's new? It's obviously probably some combination of the three. But if you ask me, it's like, Dan Lanning, you're the head coach. I know you drilled your players on the jump ball, this, that, the other. You still got to look better than than that. You got to look better than that um, in the secondary and on defense in general. I mean, Oregon brought in Dan Lanning to be the SEC guy of the Pac-12 on defense, kind of how Cristobal was the offensive line guy uh, of the SEC coming into the Pac-12 on offense. And to, to Cristobal's credit, I know that the play calling was extremely stiff, but Dang, the O-line was good, and the running game was good, and they won a Pac-12 title, and they won a Rose Bowl. So with Lanning, I feel like Lanning has a higher ceiling as a coach than Cristobal because, because he's a little younger. He came from a he came from you know the Kirby Smart 
current reigning two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs, and it kind of feels like he's still got that SEC gleam to him, and he's recruiting really, really well. But you're going to want to see more on defense if you're if you're an Oregon fan, and if it's another year of getting absolutely toasted by UW, and so you get toasted by USC, and toasted by Oregon State, by the way, as they were in the Civil War game last year, uh, you're going to have some questions. But, again, watch the landing presser. He, he harped on how hard they worked on the jump ball drills, and the receivers obviously need to continue, or pardon me, the DBs need to continue uh, to do that. Oregon's still ex- incredibly skilled with with Knicks, Franklin, and Bucky. Those are three really elite players in the Pac-12 on offense. Uh, Patrick Herbert, by the way, along with Terrence Ferguson, looked pretty good at the tight end spot. So there's your Oregon Ducks roundup. Um, let us talk Miami, Texas A&M very quickly. This is another game I was very locked into. It was A&M minus four and a half. I honestly thought A&M was going to cruise through that four and a half point spread. <clears throat> and it looked early like they were going to. They were up 10 nothing. Miami was lost. They went three and out on offense. They had a punt blocked. And then they realized, holy crap, we can't run against this Texas A&M team. But you know what we can do? There's a true freshman DB that's playing on the left side of the field. Let's throw it that guy. And TVD, Tyler Van Dyke, Shannon Dawson, the OC, five passing touchdowns. And to their credit, they bounced back. There were a couple long bombs. Isaiah Horton, 52-yard touchdown early. And A&M had no adjustments for the Miami passing attack. This was as opposite of a crystal ball coached offense as you could possibly imagine. Last week against Miami of Ohio, they were running the pistol. They were running those tunnel screens. It was like Oregon with Herbert in 2019-2020 all over again. It was like insanely conservative. And it started insanely conservative against A&M. By the way, about a half full stadium in Miami. Um, not a, Not a good environment. And it started conservative, and they were down 10 nothing. And then Shannon Dawson, the OC, probably said, Hey, Cristobal, we're just going to throw the heck out of this. And to his credit, Tyler Van Dyke stood in there, took some huge hits, and just delivered deep balls like perfectly. And like I said, A&M was playing this true freshman DB on the left side. They just kept running like slant routes to get that DB in traffic, and the receiver would kind of get like a, a fake pick, you know, like a rub route, get open. They also just threw long bombs on the kid. He slipped a couple times. Uh, they also took a punt back to the house in this game. They were like three touchdowns that Miami had where it was like, if someone doesn't slip, they're not scoring. But to Miami's credit, they executed. They didn't slip. And they end up winning 48-33. For the record, Texas A&M's QB, Connor Wigman, one of the top recruits in the country two years ago. He's a true freshman last year. Obviously, Bobby Petrino, the new OC there now. Um, Always funny to see Bobby Petrino there, just like it was funny to see Hugh Freeze on the field at Cal. I mean, can you just... Can you get more opposite than, like, Hugh Freeze walking the Cal football field? (laughs) Like, SEC, slippery, illegal recruiting, opposing sideline, walking the field at Cal. That was an all-time just image uh, as a Pac-12 fan. Um, Wiegman looked pretty good. He looked a lot more comfortable than he did last year. A&M's no longer running, like, a stiff pro-style offense. He's in the gun most of the time, kind of a gun spread look. Uh, Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad, former top recruits at receiver, I was pretty disappointed. Um, Evan Stewart's made a couple of highlight plays in his career at A&M, but 
those guys were supposed to be like incredible based on their high school rankings. Again, I'm not one of those guys that gets wrapped up in recruiting rankings, but like you just heard nothing but hype from them, um, or about them, I should say. And they just didn't look that great. Like Miami looks freaking athletic. Like they look really, really athletic. Like Evan Stewart and Muhammad, like they're a and M for as great as those recruiting classes have been. And we know that about half of them transferred out after year one, but like they didn't look any more athletic than Miami. Miami looked bigger and faster uh, than a and in this game, except for the D line, that big fella, number zero, Walter Nolan, former number one recruit in the nation. Absolute menace along the D line. That guy is a freaking stud. He is as advertised. And the whole AM D line, by the way, is massive. Like Miami, I, I don't know if I can pull up the stats for you on the fly here. Maybe I'll try. Miami could could not run in that game. And to to the credit of AM, it's because their defense was defensive front was that good. Let me pull up the stats. Here we go. Yeah, Miami had 24 carries for 77 yards. It's a three-yard average. But Tyler Van Dyke, 21-30, 374 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Um, Stewart did finish with 11 grabs for 142 yards. Muhammad just one grab for 15 yards. You know, this is um, it's a game where AM got up 10-0, and they were outscored 48-23 to the rest of the game. I was shocked. You got to give OC Shannon Dawson credit. You got to give Mario Cristobal credit. And you certainly, probably most of all, have to give Tyler Van Dyke the embattled Miami quarterback credit. You remember last year what happened in College Station? This game was 17 to 9. Miami scored three field goals the entire game against Texas AM last year. They replaced Josh Gaddis with Shannon Dawson, same QB. 48 points against AM. Looks like OC was the issue after all. Okay, uh, do I have anything else for you? Cyhawk was a funny game. Trump was in the house. Pick six to close out the half. Bunch of violent collisions. Ripped up grass stains everywhere. Punter celebrating. Cooper DeGene stays elite. Number three, the DB for Iowa. First team all-conference last year. I think second or third team all-American. Uh, it was a really funny Brock Heward quote. He said after or during the broadcast after a long Iowa pass during the replay, I was watching this live. He said, quote, I'm not afraid to say it. This is actually a good play call from Brian Ferentz. <laughs> the Hawkeyes, by the way, 13 offensive points in this game. They had a pick six before halftime. And they win 20-13. to 13. So they cover the spread. It still goes under 38. And they only have 13 offensive points. I mean, that is just that is sick stuff. That is sick stuff. Um, they are really good on defense and really bad on offense. The average number of points for them is well below that 25-point mark that Brian Ferentz needs to hit to not get fired. USC 56, Stanford 10. Watched some of this game. It was like 49-3 to three at one point. Um, and I believe USC either had 42 or 49 by halftime. Ashton Daniels, the Stanford QB, is really athletic, but still very much a work in progress in the passing game. USC's skill players are just so sick, man. I mean, Branch, Robinson, Singer, Williams, uh, Lloyd, like, Joyner. Dude, they are so sick. They are so sick. I don't see anyone slowing this USC down. Okay, finally... A note on the quarterbacks in the NFL. Let's do that. What am I at? Eh, about 43 minutes in. Not bad. Not bad for a solo pod. 
I want to talk about the quarterback position in the NFL right now, especially after week one. I know everyone's going to overreact. You know, the Buccaneers beat, what, the Vikings? Like, there's always games like that that happen. The Cardinals actually hung in there and almost won against the Commanders. Not that the Commanders are world beaters, but the Cardinals have the worst, pretty much universally accepted as the worst offense and worst roster in the league. They started Josh Dobbs, who joined the team like a couple of weeks ago. Like, what are we doing in Arizona? I, I don't know what we're doing in Arizona. Um, this is the big thing from week one in the NFL for me. Obviously, the Aaron Rodgers injury sucks. Achilles tear. The buildup of that game was unbelievable. Aaron Rodgers runs out with the American flag in New York, well, Jersey, but, you know, the New York vibe, 9-11. You got first responders on the sidelines. You got first responders in the stands. You got the coaches wearing the NYPD hats and supporting the, the you know, the troops and the or not the troops i should say you know law enforcement and firefighters aka the first responders i believe hundreds of firefighters were lost in 9-11 um it was it was a surreal scene pregame um really really honestly hats off to to the jets organization and everyone who organized that it was really cool um obviously the aaron Rodgers injury sucks four plays in like such a jets thing to happen man it sucks they're like their best quarterback since joe namath 50 years ago and and that happens. I mean, that's that's just that's brutal. Um, feel feel bad for them, man. I, I like Robert Sala is an elite coach. Um, their defense is elite, and their skill spots are solid. I mean, Garrett Wilson is incredible. That catch that he had on the left side there on that like little fade turnaround that Zach Wilson threw him later in the game is incredible. I got some goosebumps when Xavier Simpson took that punt to the house in overtime. I mean, a walk-off moment on 9-11 in New York. Like, how can you not get just freaking goosebumps from that? Um, Aaron Rodgers' injury sucks. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about the quarterback situation in the NFL. Joe Burrow and Josh Allen continue to, at times, look downright awful. I mean, downright awful. Like, I pulled up the passing leaders. Oh, dang it, it went away. I'll pull it up real quick. The passing leaders from week one, which, by the way, purely off passing yards is very misleading, like, Kirk Cousins was not that good. He's second in the league in passing yards after week one. Matt Stafford, who was good in Seattle, is there. Mac Jones at four. Derek Carr at five. Jared Goff. I'm not, I'm a I'm a bigger fan of Jared Goff than most, but it's not like he was spectacular. I mean, what did they get? A pick six. They scored two offensive touchdowns in that win against the Chiefs. Uh, Jordan Love, C.J. Stroud, T-Law, and Josh Allen. Like, those are your top ten besides Tua, who was one. That, those are your top ten passers after week one. My point is, if you go on eye test alone, I think the top three quarterbacks in the league right now are Mahomes, Herbert, Hertz, and Tua. And by the way, Brock Purdy's not that far behind. I would have put Aaron Rodgers in at number two. I think that highly of him. Obviously, the injury. Um, but who else are you really looking at as like the top QBs in the league? Like, Dude, did you see, and not that anyone's ever said he's a top QB, but, like, did you see how awful Tannehill was? Did you see how awful Justin Fields was? Kenny Pickett? Like, and look, I get a lot of these guys didn't play in the preseason, although Pickett did. But, like, the quarterback play was horrific for most of this first weekend. And Justin Herbert (laughs) had put together an offense that scored 34 points, did not turn the ball over, Won the time of possession, by the way. They won the time of possession. And I uh, I, I have the stat from Daniel Popper's article in The Athletic. He's a great writer. Pretty much the only... Well, him and Bruce Feldman, the, 
the GOAT, the college football GOAT, are pretty much the only two reasons I subscribe to The Athletic. Since 2000, teams that rushed for more than 200 yards allowed fewer than 100 rushing yards and did not turn the ball over and won the turnover margin by by at least two were 110 and 0 since 2000. And by the way, the Chargers also won the time of possession battle intentionally. You could say the knock on them in previous years under Herbert was that they scored too quickly. They were too much of a quick strike, strike offense, and they left the defense out out there more often than they should. Um, don't always agree with that, but that's fine. That's a fair criticism. I know that, that NFL offenses obviously intentionally try to put together five, six, seven-minute drives if they can, as the, as the Chargers did multiple times in this game. By the way, their first drive of the first half and first drive of the second half. Long touchdown drives. Let me read that one more time. Since 2000, teams that rushed for more than 200 yards allowed fewer than 100 rushing yards, did not turn the ball over, and won the turnover margin by at least two or 110-0. Make it 110-1 because the Chargers' defense was that soiled. This is a soiled defense in Los Angeles. It is soiled, okay? Herbert put on th- put 34 points up, possessed the ball more than five minutes than the Dolphins did, did not turn the ball over once scored to start the first half scored to start the second half scored on their second to last drive of the game and took up like six or seven minutes of clock put put a field goal up you would have loved to see them finish that drive they went tempo at the goal line i thought that was a mistake by kellen moore i think they probably should have huddled and and ran a route to keenan allen instead they they hurried up ran like a kind of a wild third and medium from the goal line set up herbert had to throw the ball kind of he basically just threw it away he was looking for mike williams in the right corner of the end zone he he basically just threw it up too far out of the arms he didn't want to Turn over. I you gotta throw it to Keenan there, I think, or at least slow down and give Mike a jump ball in, in the proper setting instead of having him go from left to right into the safety. Like it was just it was a it was a mess of a third down play if you saw it. Um they they needed to just slow down, huddle, and and make a better throw there. But in general, that offense was as as good as you would see in the league, right? Um thirty four points. The only problem is that the Dolphins had 36, and Tua throws for 466 yards and three touchdowns, one pick late in the end zone, and even that pick was kind of messed up. J.C. Jackson, who was awful, picked off and then ran it out to the four for some reason instead of just taking a knee. Um, <clears throat> that would lead to a, a, a Tua to Tyreek touchdown the next play after the Dolphins got the ball back the first play of that next drive. J.C. got cooked again. He was benched. They brought in Jasir Taylor. Um, if you ask me, Asante Samuel just needs to be permanently covering the best receiver. Like, don't do this one side of the field zone stuff. That that obviously threw the Chargers defense for a loop. Um, they were so bad. And and Daniel Popper in, in postgame, uh, to his credit, asked Brandon Staley, like, where was the pass rush? You know, essentially, like, where was the – basically, where was the pressure on Tua? Why was the defense so, so bad? And um, let me play that for you right here. It's pretty funny. Like um, Staley got frustrated and ended up ended up interrupting uh, Popper mid question. Here we go. About the pass rush, you know, Joey and Khalil both healthy. Like why why wasn't it getting the ball was out, Daniel? The ball was out, and we 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 did affect him more in the second half. Um, but when he got to the top of the drop, the ball was out, or it was well protected with seven or eight guys in the protection, and the ball was out. So um, you know. 
we needed to make you know bigger plays on third down and those you know you know those long situations. I think that was a time for us to to get there, and um, we didn't do it. Craig, what did you make? So that was his situ- That was his his stance. The ball was out. Um, there were a lot of plays where Tua dropped back and and had plenty of time to throw and and hit um, Tyreek and others for for big time gains. And um, man, if you're if you're that defense and you're the Chargers, you know I know there's the Derwin James post game quote like, "Hey, we gotta be we gotta be a lot better." And and it's true. Um, the defense was just astoundingly bad. And it's like Brandon Staley, man, that's your side of the ball. And it's still bad as it was a year ago. Loyal listener Pierce Fettig, his stance was, he told me this, a real owner would have fired Brandon Staley in Jacksonville last year. And and it's tough to disagree with that. Uh, it's really tough to disagree with that. You know, the Chargers did take a step forward last year. They were 10-6 and six at one point, finished the regular season 10-7 and seven before that playoff game. Um, but... I, I agree. There's, there's, you know, I'm not gonna call for Staley's head right now, but boy, it sure looks like they should have hired Sean Payton. And, and getting back to like my overall point, Herbert looked like the second or third best quarterback in the league this weekend, and they still lost. And I just want to point out, you know, I'm a big wins are not a QB stats guy. I think that's been proven time and time and time again. Um, if you look at, let's go back and look at some scores from around the league real quick. Let me go to the schedule. Week one, right? Kansas City scores 20 points. Did not look very good. Um, obviously, they're without Kelsey and Chris Jones, but Mahomes still the best quarterback in the world. Atlanta, Carolina, 24 to 10. Joe Burrow, folks, the Joe Burrow stat line. Like, are you are you are you kidding me? This is your second best. This is your second best quarterback in the league. 14 of 31 for 82 yards. You remember when people were were comparing Burrow to Mahomes? Like, what are we fucking doing, folks? Like. Please tell me you actually watched the games. Because if you actually watched the games, you would never in a million years compare Alberto Burrow to Mahomes or even say that Burrow's the second best QB in the league. The, the defense for the Bengals consistently carries them. It's not Burrow in the offense. The the defense for the Bengals consistently carries them. And, and that's been proven out time and time and time again. And I'm glad that the world would see that against Cleveland. Uh, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, T-Law looked pretty good. T-Law looked pretty good. 31-21 Jags. Um, the the Minnesota-Tampa Bay game was hilarious. The Kirk, Kirk Cousins had like 230 yards of passing in the first half, and they were down like 10-7 to 7 or something. Um, just kind of the typical inflated Kirk Cousins line. The, the Bucks go in there and get the win. Boy, Ryan Tannehill... I mean, talk about a guy who cannot, he does not have it. He is he is washed, folks. Tannehill is washed. They kicked five field goals in that game. That's hilarious. 16 to 15. <clears throat> there was, yeah, one, two, three, eight field goals kicked in this game. Tannehill's final line, 198 yards, 16 of 34, zero touchdowns, three picks. Um, Carr was better, but he wasn't even that good. Uh, Chargers get get the Titans next week. It is on the road, but uh, that should be a, a, a much easier game. San Francisco at Pittsburgh. Damn, Brock Party looks like him. Um, I know the team is stacked. I know that I know that, you know, Shanahan is probably the best offensive mind in the league along with Andy Reid and and I'll listen to um 
Oh, the Eagles coach. I'll listen to the Eagle, an argument for the Eagles coach. Where the heck is his name? Why is it forgetting me? Nick Sirianni. I'll listen to Sirianni as well. But, I mean, in general, what's been proven is uh, is Andy Reid and Shanahan over a long period of time. Those are the two best offensive coaches in the league. Um, and then you look at Green Bay, 38-20. They scored more than anyone else in the league. But right behind them, Miami with 36 and the Chargers with 34. I thought Herbert was maybe the best quarterback along with Tua. Stats and eye test this week. And he still lost. Someone please save Justin Herbert and the Chargers from Brandon Staley. We'll see if the defense can get better throughout the rest of the season. All right, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week.